therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Marianne. Well, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Um, as Luke mentioned, I'm one of the pastors down at the Globe Church. Uh, we meet down in Elephant Castle. Um, we've been going around about the same time. We started around the same time you guys did. Um, so it's really exciting to see how God is working in all sorts of different ways across the city. Um, and I've heard so many good things about Reality Church. Uh, one of my friends visited before a while ago, a couple of years ago, and he was like, Mike, you need to check this church out. It's like, well, I'm stuck at this other church. I'm working out. Uh, and then Bijan texted me a couple of weeks ago and said, Mike, would you, would you mind preaching? I was like, yeah, mate, I'm, I'm coming. So, uh, so here I am. So thank you for the, the privilege and honor. It's great to be with you. Um, keep that passage open, Philippians 2. We're going to look at it because we're working through Philippians at the moment. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. Let me pray as we dive into God's word. Father, we come before your word now. Your word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Father, it, it cuts to our souls. It cuts between our bones. Father, pray that your word would speak to us this morning as we gather here as your church. Father, show us what it means to serve you, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Show us what it means to, to live without grumbling and arguing. Show us what it means to shine like stars as you call us to, we pray, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, as Luke mentioned, I'm, I'm married, I've got a couple of kids, and sadly, my family couldn't join uh, this morning. Otherwise, you would have met my wife um, and two girls. And actually, my eldest daughter graduated recently. You might be thinking, what? Like, how old do I look? <laughs> actually, I'm older than you might think, but I'm not that old. But here's the thing. My two girls are aged two and four. Exactly. Um, and that's the thing. We got this letter from nursery saying your daughter is graduating at the age of four. And it seems like nowadays nurseries do graduations too. And they had the whole works. She, was, she had the blue gown with the hat. They did the throwing. They can't catch. But it was a fun afternoon. But here's the thing. It's something I clocked while I sat there. It was really fun. And lots of good things happening. But the kids were taught these songs. And these teachers had written these poems for the kids. And the gist was something along these lines. It was, I paraphrase it, but it was something like, like, you guys are special in who you are. Go and dream and be who you want to be, and you will shine like stars. And I sat there thinking, that is our culture. See, our culture, people want to hope and shine like stars. People want to be influential. They want to have impact on the world. They want to have some sort of meaning, have dreams that make us think we're special, that we're going to do something. And the thing is, when we lose sight of that as humanity, I see people unravel. They lose purpose. They feel worthless. See, wanting to shine, wanting to be worthy, seems to be an underlying trait of humanity. 
And our kids are taught this from such a young age. And as I sat there thinking, it reminded me actually of this passage. And I said, I, I need to tell my daughter how to really shine like a star. And that's what I want to do as we're sharing God's word this morning. To ask that question, how do we today shine like stars in the world? It's not something inherent in us, but it's something that comes from God. That's what we're going to see in this passage. So keep it open. If you look at it, it starts, verse 12, therefore. Here's the context. This is what's going on. When you see the word therefore, it should make you look back up and see, okay, what's Paul, being, the writer, been talking about? And you can see just before, there's this amazing hymn of Christ. He's been talking about Jesus and his humility. How he did not consider equality with God something to be, in the old NIV, grasped. I love that translation. And this wonderful hymn of Christ is foundational to the makeup of the church. But Paul pushes this idea further today. He doesn't want us to just merely set the foundation within the church, but he wants this to propel the church into the culture, to the generation around us, so that believers like you and I might shine like stars, that the world might see God's glory. And this message challenges the message that we hear in the world. The message that we hear, that we are special. Just go and do whatever you want, then you're going to shine like a star. To be honest, I think people quickly realize that that isn't true. My daughter's going to find that out pretty soon. As we get older, we realize there are lots of other people who've been told exactly the same thing. And we quickly realize that to be special, you need to really stand out. Suddenly, your achievements matter. Your popularity matters. Your image matters. You work so hard to put yourself before others to say, look, worthy am I, don't I shine? At school, it's all about grades. After school, it's all about job status, how much you earn, your position. It can become things like how many letters after your name, how many achievements on my CV, how many followers on Instagram. And as Christians, I think we can sometimes get caught up in that same mentality as well. We start to function and think like the world around us. We start measuring our brightness based on our achievements, our popularity, our influence outside and within the church. But today, God willing, this passage will realign our thinking because Philippians 2 is going to show us, how, look, this is how you truly shine like stars. And all I want to do simply this morning is just focus on two things that we see in this passage, two commands. I don't know if you saw them as, we were, as you heard the reading, but that's going to shape our understanding and application. Here's the first thing. Do you see the first command in verse 12? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let me be really clear here. This is not Paul saying, look, you've got to find your own way to your own salvation. The Bible is clear. Only God saves us from our sin. Only God saves from the chains of death. No one is righteous, not even one. Salvation has been won by Christ at the cross and him alone by his work, not ours. The Bible's clear on that. But the words here, working out our salvation, is, it means more like working alongside. It's about working out, living out our salvation in our lives. That's what it means. Think about it like this. Christianity, being a follower of Jesus, isn't like a membership card for your local gym. Now, whether you go to the gym or not, you have that card in your back pocket and you can say, hey, look, I'm a member of this gym. That is not what it is. As Christians, we're not called just to be justified, to find salvation and keep that in the back pocket until we stand before Jesus. No, we are to work out, live out our salvation, the very salvation that Christ has won for us. 
We don't just go to the gym, but we wear the branded t-shirts and have the bottles. We show the world which gym we're part of. I feel like this image is losing its legs. Okay. <laughs> right, okay, let's, let's use the stars idea from this passage. It's basically like this. Don't become lights that sit tucked, sit tucked away in a cupboard somewhere. You know, like birthday candles that you just pull out once a year. No. God says, be a star. Shine and keep shining out in the sky where people can see you. Work out your salvation. Question then becomes, okay, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? Well, look again at verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed. I think it's to do with obedience. Just like Christ, who, if you look up in verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, here's something central to us working out our faith. It's a life of obedience. Now, our culture doesn't like the word obedience. It seems restrictive. It feels like it goes against our freedom and our rights. And yet we all know how good it is to be obedient to laws that are good for us. We understand it's not good to steal. It's not good to speed. It keeps things in check. It keeps us safe. How much more so when we are obedient to the God of the universe, to his rule and to his ways? His intentions and his will is the best for us, not just for me, but for all of creation. So being obedient to his ways will be of huge benefit to me, to those around us, and to the watching world. Think about this. At the highest level, Jesus says, look, love God and love your neighbor. Those are two commands from which all other commandments hang off from. Even for someone who doesn't know Jesus, I'm pretty sure you would agree that loving neighbor is a good way to live. Sure, there are details that we need to figure out day to day, but the principle is clear. Be it obedient to God's will and word, that is how you work out our salvation. And Paul goes on, look, that starts, it has to start with God. Working out our salvation, being obedient, has to start with God. Verse 12, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I think that's what it means. Start with God. Is anyone a fan of Michael Jackson? Yeah? Yes, a few people. I, I'm a big fan. Um, I saw my Instagram reels recently, uh, old concerts of Michael Jackson, with these people just fainting in awe of who Michael Jackson is. I was like, come on, he's cool, but really? But it's that sort of image. Fear and trembling. It's not a phobia like you're scared of spiders. It's being in awe of God, of who he is and what he's done. See, in the world, we're constantly called to push ourselves forward to show people, look, this is my worth. This is where you can find my worth. That's what our CVs do. But not of Christians. So our motivation isn't to push ourselves forward so that I stand out. It's not trying to generate self-worth from within. No, but our worth is found in God and what he's done. It starts with him who said, despite your failures, your best attempts that fall short of my standards, I love you and have redeemed you as my child. And when we find our worth in what God has done, that should bring us in awe of him. That you would choose me, God. And that's what drives us to live out our salvation in light of God, in obedience to him. And we not only start with God, but it ends with God too. Karen, looking at verse 13, for it is God who works in you 
to will and to act in, a, in order to fulfill his good purpose. Literally, it says God works. He literally energizes. It's not that God saves and now it's over. You ever play with those little wind-up toys? You know what I mean? You wind them up and they go, and some of them like spin and jump and do funny things. That's not what we like. It's not like God brings us life, winds us up, and then says, okay, now you go, go on your way. We're saved by the grace of God through faith, not by works so that we may boast. Our worth is found in him, but God does not just stop there. In his grace, he saves and then he sustains and continues to work in us all the time. It's not a 50-50 cooperation. This is a mysterious union where by God's grace and power, he enables us and gives us all that we need so that we have the responsibility and agency to live out our salvation in him. You've got to get this. God is continually at work in you right now. Even as you sit here listening to his word. He's at work with you as you chat to somebody after the service this morning. He's at work in you when you read your Bible in the morning or the evening or whenever you do it. He's at work when you head off to work and interact with your colleagues in a God-glorifying manner. God is at work constantly calling you to work out your salvation in him. And he does this to fulfill his good purpose. To see you live out your reality as somebody born again in Christ, fearfully and wonderfully made or, or remade, should I say, whose worth is now in Christ, living for him, living in obedience to him, God's fulfilling that purpose so we might shine like stars. And do you realize God establishes his name through people like you and me working out our salvation? When we shine like stars by working out our salvation and obedience to God's will, we bring him glory and it will make the watching world look up and notice. Now that's the first thing I wanted to see and you could say that's sort of the vertical aspect in terms of our relationship with God. But get this, Paul doesn't stop there. He pushes us further towards the horizontal aspect in how we relate to one another. And those two things are so closely linked Love God, love neighbor. Know the love from God so we can love neighbor. Love your neighbor to show God's love and know God's love more and bring him glory. They fuel one another and that's what's going on here. In the second command that he gives, look at verse 14. Here's the second thing. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. The first thing was work out your salvation. The second is do everything without grumbling or arguing. I mentioned the context at the start. You always have to kind of see what Paul's been talking about. And I think Paul in, has, has chapter 2, verses 1 to 4 in view when he speaks here. Paul went really big on unity there. He told the church, look, be of one mind, one heart, one spirit. That's actually a big theme in the letter of Philippians. Later on in chapter 4, verse 2, he speaks of two women, Euodia and Syntyche, who have fallen out. And he's like, look, you guys need to reconcile. So unity is a big thing for Paul and for the church. Not for unity's sake, but for God's glory and honor. And I've been reflecting a lot on this a lot recently. And it's stark how big this theme is throughout Scripture. Think about, think about Jesus, okay? He's about to endure the cross and he's praying for his followers, for his disciples. In John 17, he prays for their, their protection. But then he doesn't go on to pray for success in their ministry He doesn't go and pray that they will plant hundreds of churches and be doctrinally sound. What does he pray for? Unity. He prays that they may be brought to complete unity, just like he and the Father are one. And then he says this, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them 
even as you have loved me. That is Jesus' prayer before the cross. And unity is what Paul emphasizes here when he commands the church, look, do not grumble and argue. Because unity is a huge part of working out our salvation and obedience to God. Now think for a moment, when, when do you grumble? When do you grumble? When do you argue? Okay, I'll tell you when I grumble. When a certain somebody, I won't tell you who it is, tells me to take the bins out after a long day of work. And I'm tired. What do I do? I grumble. I might begrudgingly do it, but I grumble. I grumble when I'm standing in the queue at the self-checkout tills, and the person before is just really struggling to scan anything. And they keep calling the person, and I'm like, come on, it's not that hard. Beep, beep. But I grumble. I find it so easy to grumble. Do you? When do we grumble? We grumble when we only really care for ourselves, when my needs are not met, when things aren't done to my liking or as quickly as I'd like, when it's an inconvenience to me. And grumbling is the internal heart reaction, which then spills over into arguing. That's the external fruit of grumbling, as it were. And it is ugly and divisive. I don't know many people who like to to argue with people they claim to love. Grumbling and arguing, that's contrary to what Paul has been speaking of when we look to Christ. See, when we look to Jesus, we see somebody who emptied himself of all power, of all he desired. Jesus inconvenienced himself to take on the nature of a servant, to take on humanity of his creatures that he created. Now, did Jesus grumble? No, he humbled He humbled himself to God's will. He does this in obedience to God, even to death on a cross. Jesus, even though in his human desire, did not want to go to the cross, as he prayed in Gethsemane, he had his Father's glory and his will in full view. Did Jesus grumble? No, he humbled. Humbled himself to willingly and obediently say, Father, let your will be done. And instead of grumbling, Jesus knelt there praying drops of blood, seeking God's will for the glory of his Father and for the salvation of his people. That is our Jesus. Instead of seeking his own needs, he lowered himself in service for us. See, the antidote to grumbling is Christ-centered humility, which all flows out of reverence for the God who saves us and who is working in us today. And just picture it, when we live like this, what are we going to see? We will see a radical community of people who live as one, without grumbling and arguing. A gathered people who are continually working out our salvation, seeing the grace of God at work in our lives, seeing the beauty of Christ's humility, and being shaped by Christ's likeness to one united body who humbly love and serve each other. Now let me be clear, that doesn't mean that we are pushovers and we never speak up. A lot of scripture, God commands us to exhort, to challenge, to inquire of one another. Disagreements will happen, but it's about how we go about doing that. How we go about disagreeing. We never do it for one-upmanship. We never do it to put others down and make ourselves feel holier or smarter or further along as Christians. No, we do that in humble, Christ-centered service and love of one another. The antidote to grumbling is Christ-centered humility. The thing is, I I just see so much grumbling and arguing that goes on in our world today. 
Anyone on Twitter still? Step into it every so often. Man, at times it isn't grumbling and arguing. It's more like growling and devouring, right? We live in a world that seems to be ever more polarized. And it's almost contagious. Grumbling and arguing seems to fuel others to keep doing that. And I see that a lot in the Christian world too, which is really sad. The even worse thing is I have non-believing friends who sometimes show interest in Christianity. But they see the arguing and grumbling and say to me, well, it's not really that different to the world. And I don't want to be a part of a community that's always fighting. Why would I join that? To them, Christians don't seem like stars who shine, but black holes you want to avoid. But picture a church, local and worldwide, that is genuinely united, where there is genuinely no grumbling or arguing, where there is real humility and service and unity. Would that not stand out as verse 15 says, that you become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation? Blameless and pure here is not about being sinless, but it's about being those who are set apart as God's children, made in the image of Christ, who are distinctive in how we live in obedience to God, how we work out our salvation in a community without grumbling and arguing. You're starting to get that picture, I hope. But how do we go about doing that? How do we stay on that path away from grumbling and arguing? Well, Paul goes on, verse 16. This is how you do it. As you hold firmly to the word of life. To the very words Jesus gave regarding himself as the salvation of many. It might make you think of John chapter 6, where Jesus is feeding the 5,000. And then he explains to them, look, this is all about me. You need to eat of my body and drink of my blood. They will be satisfied, restored, and filled by Christ's very own body and united by him. But what happens? Many on that day listen to that and turn from him, grumbling and arguing. Like, how can this be? This makes no sense. And then the 12 disciples stand there. And do you remember what they say? Jesus, where else would we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. How do we shine like stars? How do we make sure we don't grumble and argue and remain united? By clinging to Jesus' words of life. By clinging, clinging to the very gospel of Christ. It's coming back to the very core foundations of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's to see the richness of the gospel where we see God's great love for us. We see how far we fall short that we have nothing to boast in or shine about. Instead, we see Christ. How the Son of God humbled himself to death on a cross who gave himself for people like us who live as children of a crooked and warped generation. And by his blood, instead, we now stand forgiven, redeemed life to live in freedom with Christ, to work out our salvation in obedience to him. Too often in the church, I find we argue and grumble about all sorts of other things that are secondary, sometimes even third tier. Now those things, yeah, we need to think about them and engage with them, but the primary focus for unity to keep us from grumbling must be what Paul calls the church to do, to focus on the words of life, united around the forgiveness of sins and salvation that we have in Christ alone, to stand united in how we live out our salvation by God's power and grace so that we might live distinctly in obedience to God and not to the world, so that we might be blameless and pure, that we might not grumble and argue distinct in the, world, in the way we are humble and serve one another in unity. 
And that sort of church is united, not based on our background, our theological nuances, our age or stage or ethnicity or class or whatever way you want to dissect it. But it's united in our understanding of the words of eternal life that Jesus speaks. And just think, how much brighter is the night sky when you don't have just one star, but you have millions of stars united together shining out? That is what will bring joy and gladness for Paul, even as he sits in prison facing imminent death. And surely that is the picture that we would want of a church that shines like stars. Would that not bring us joy and gladness? Would that not bring joy and gladness to the watching world? Does it not honor God and fulfill his purpose that we would be the light to the nations? Let me draw this to a close and and sort of land this for us. So what does that look like for us today? Well, let's think about those two commands again. The first, work out your salvation. It's a call to us as a church. Live out your salvation. Don't let it sit in your back pocket like a membership card. Don't think I've signed on with Christ now. It's it's done. I'm, 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 I'm good now. But live out a life in Christ. That means we live in obedience to God's will. We seek holiness, not in our own strength and not to prove ourselves, but in awe of what God has done in saving us and setting us apart as his children. It's simply, we live as a child of God would, how we want to honor our Father. We live and aspire to Christ-likeness every day. Simple practical thing. We need to know God's word. We need to understand his will. We need to know what we should be obeying. So spend time listening to God's word of life. Be captivated by God's grace and his promises. And then ask God to work in you so that you can live that out in your life in obedience to his command. And I get, when we live in obedience to God's call, it will be costly and sacrificial. It means we will be quick to sacrifice for the sake of serving others. It means we'll have to give up our time, not for ourselves, but for others. It also means we're going to be countercultural. It means we'll live with different sexual ethics. We'll differ in the approach to finances, where we build his kingdom and serve others, not building our own. But in that, we look to Christ and see his great sacrifice for us and the promise that he has given us to a kingdom that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And with that in view, we daily work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that God works in us. That is the way we can stand firm and shine like stars in a crooked and warped generation that comes at us with cultural challenge after cultural challenge. And this ties to the second thing. One of the key ways to work out our salvation in our relationship with others, with God is in our relationship with others. To do everything without grumbling or arguing. Hold to the words of life. Learn from Christ. Hear his words regarding our salvation. Get back to the core of the gospel because that has to be the root of our unity with one another. And then pray. Pray that we would model the humility that Christ has displayed in our lives. That when there are disagreements with a brother or sister, instead of grumbling, we stop, we check, and we pray for humility. And that will lead us to listen. That will lead us to be patient, to be generous in our heart attitudes. And it means that we will pray that God would point us, one another, to Christ so that we might take up our cross and serve our brothers and sisters. Just imagine a community who constantly does this. You'll be working so hard to outserve one another, out-humble one another, 
to outlisten one another. Isn't that going to be radical for the watching world? They're so used to seeing people trampling all over each other. Instead, they look to the church and constantly they see us washing one another's feet. What a beautiful picture that would be. Let me say, if you're not a Christian here this morning, do you not want to be a part of a community like that? Do you not want to shine like stars as God has called us to? Come to the light that is Christ and follow him. And as we live in this sort of way, we, that's how we will shine like stars. Within the church, but more importantly, beyond the church. And my prayer is that as Reality Church lives like that, that would draw people in. Not just the words we live by, but how we live in radical obedience and unity as a church. Brothers, sisters, we need to listen to Paul's call here. Work out our salvation and do everything without grumbling and arguing. And we do that for God's glory so that we might bring the light of Christ to the nations here in London. Let me pray. Let me give us a moment in just some peace and quiet to reflect on something there, perhaps. Perhaps you need to think and pray, God, help me to work out my salvation all the more to be obedient to you, to live that out, to, to really practically embody everything you speak of and teach in your word. Or perhaps you need to think, oh, I need to stop grumbling and arguing with those around. Maybe there's stuff in the church that's going on that you, there's a brother or sister that you've had that disagreement with. Let me give you a moment just to pray to God, to ask for his help. And I'll lead us in a prayer. Father God, you are a glorious God. A glorious God who saves people like us. Father, we look to you and ask that you would help us to work out and live out our salvation with fear and trembling. Father, to know and obey your will all the more in our lives. Father, help us by your spirit to then embody that in the lives that we live as a church. Help us to be all the more united. Help us not to grumble or argue but to be shaped by Christ-like humility, to serve one another, to love one another. And through that unity, through us working out that salvation, would we shine like stars to give you glory and for the watching world to see. And may that draw people in to the light that is Christ. It's only through Jesus that we are able to do this. So please, do that work in the Reality Church, we pray. And may your light shine across London for your glory in Jesus' name.